Hey, what's up, folks? How you doing on this uh, Sunday, January 16th, 2022? We're already halfway through the month. Time is flying, and time is waiting for no one, that's for sure. Hey, in this episode, I want to spend a few minutes talking about the anointing. We hear that term a whole lot in evangel. We, we, we hear it all the time in evangelical circles. What is the anointing, or what does it mean? What does it mean to be anointed? All right. So, I've heard many people pray things like, "Lord, send us a fresh anointing," or "Anoint this. Uh, this song is anointed," or "This is anointed," or "That is anointed." What exactly? Does it mean to be anointed or to anoint something? So obviously, if we're going to talk about something over and over again, we need to know what we're talking about. Right. Uh, wouldn't you agree? So the uh, the term anoint, it means to actually to smear or to pour. And in the Old Testament, the idea of anointing was using uh, oil to smear on something, whether it was a thing or whether it was a person. And when you anointed something with the anointing oil, you were consecrating it. You were separating it for a particular purpose. It was something that you were considering to be special, uh, holy, uh, set apart. All right. So that's one of the meanings or one of the main meanings of the word uh, anoint means to smear or to pour oil on something or someone. The Hebrew word for anoint is masiah. And of course, that sounds like the English word Messiah, which means the anointed one. And of course, we're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. We're talking about the Messiah that means the anointed one. The Greek equivalent of that would be the word Christos, where we get the English word Christ. So obviously when we're talking about Jesus Christ. We're talking about Jesus, his name, which means God is salvation and Christ, which is actually his title, not his last name. It is, it is his title, which means anointed or the anointed one definite article. All right. So that's where anointed comes from. The first time we find out about something being anointed was in the was in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. And it talks about when Jacob was on his way to the hometown of his mother because he was actually running away from his brother Esau because he stole his birthright. He slept and what he did is he put a rock under his head as a pillow to sleep on and, and and during the time when he slept he had a dream from the Lord and he saw angels ascending and descending upon a ladder and that's the whole idea of of the whole thing about Jacob's ladder because he had a dream and in that dream God was letting him know that he was with him and then what happened is Jacob regarded that place as holy because God visited him and he anointed the rock that he slept on and 
that rock in his mind was consecrated and he named that place Bethel, which means house of God. All right. So that's the first time in scripture, recorded scripture, where we find someone anointing something. All right. Uh, also, like I said, people were anointed for special service. They were separated unto God to perform a service. And in the case of um, Aaron and his sons, because they were priests, they were anointed with anointing oil. All right. You find that in Exodus chapter 29, verse 7, and also in Exodus chapter 30, verse 26, chapter 40, verses 9 and 10, and also Samuel the judge and prophet anointed David as king in 1 Samuel chapter 16 because David was separated and anointed by Samuel for the purpose of one day becoming king. I mean, at the time that he was anointed, he wasn't king, yet he was still a shepherd boy living at home in Bethlehem. All right. So, and here's an interesting thing about someone being anointed. Uh, the Bible refers to Cyrus, who was a Persian Gentile secular king that he was anointed. He's, he's regarded as God's anointed in Isaiah chapter 45 verse one. So he was also anointed. And why was he anointed? I mean, why was he, in what way was Cyrus used by God? Well, when Cyrus was king of Persia, he was the one that gave the edict for the Jews to return back to their homeland of Jerusalem so that they could build their temple. Because at the time when he became king, they were in captivity in Babylon and in Persia. And once their captivity ended, they were permitted to go back and reestablish their identity, their religion, and their nation. And God stirred up the heart of King Cyrus, whom he said was his anointed through the prophet Isaiah to go back and rebuild their nation, starting with the reconstruction of the temple. So he was also regarded as God's anointed. And once again, you can find that account in Isaiah chapter 45. All right. Another word that is used, that is um, used for anointed. Another Greek word is the word uh, Cairo. And it talks about, it's a specific sacred anointing. And like I said earlier, just a moment ago, that Jesus is not only anointed of God. He is the anointed of God. He is, he was commissioned by God to save his people, as the Bible says, from their sins. And we find that reference in Matthew chapter one, verse 21. And also Isaiah has a messianic reference in the 61st chapter of his book. And it, and Jesus fulfills that prophecy in the New Testament. It talks about how God has anointed Christ uh, to um, bring the gospel and to preach to the poor. As a matter of fact, let me read it for you so I say it the right way. So I'm going to go to Luke's gospel. 
the fourth chapter. This is when Jesus is talking or speaking and preaching in one of the uh, synagogues. So Luke's gospel. We're going to go to chapter four. Just need to find it. Luke's gospel chapter four. All right, here we go. One moment. Luke chapter four. It says this. Hold on. Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. Then Jesus went back to Galilee, and the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the entire region. And he began teaching in his synagogues and was praised and glorified and honored by all. Luke chapter 4, I'm, I'm at verse 16. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. Then the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to announce release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, and set free, set free those who are oppressed to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Then he rolled up the scroll, this is verse 20, gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all those in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began speaking to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing and in your presence. And he, once again, is quoting from Isaiah chapter 61. So notice what he said, though. He said this in verse, once again, going back. Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has what anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. What is that good news? Of course, we know that good news is the gospel. And that's that's what the gospel means. Good news, something that every believer should be engaged in. I mean, we've been commissioned to share the good news of the gospel, how Christ is willing and ready to provide healing to all those who realize that they're sick and that they're spiritually spiritually bankrupt and need salvation, need rescue, need deliverance. All right. So. Jesus is the anointed of God. All right. And we get another word of anointing. There's a different word. It's called charisma. And that word is where we get the word charismatic. And I know you've, I mean, you listening have heard that term. I mean, usually when you talk about someone that's charismatic, I guess in the wider sense, it's a person that's passionate we think of a Dr. Martin Luther King or you think of a Malcolm X or you think of someone who's very fiery in their um, their disposition. They're very passionate. They're very driven as a person that is a charismatic person. But in the more narrow sense, in the more biblical sense, we think of a charismatic. You think of a person who is one who is a proponent of the gifts of the spirit, one who promotes speaking in tongues, one who 
says that people, everybody can be healed and a person that that believes they perhaps have a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. And, and we've all heard the term charismatic movement, which typically is dealing with the neo-Pentecostal movement. You can also say word of faith, uh, positive confession movement and things like that. And we think of charismatic. That's more in the narrow sense of the word. So. Because every um, person that's in Christ is actually a person that is anointed. And I can prove that to you by going to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 20. I'll read that. This is what it says. 1 John chapter 2 verse 20. It says this. I'm going to read the actually read the verse before that. But it says this. This is uh, John speaking, the elder, the apostle. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be clearly shown that None of them are of us. And what he's talking about here in this 19th verse is that he's talking about false believers, pretenders, not legitimate converts, but false converts. Because what he's talking about is that if a person professes to be a Christian and then they walk away from the faith and they stay away from the faith, that is proof positive that they were not truly of the faith. They just pretended they were and maybe they liked what they saw in the beginning, but when times got hard and the Christian life has not panned out the way, the way that they expected it to, they decided to turn their back on God and walk away like a lot of people did during Christ's day. You find that account in John chapter six, where a lot of people were there because he fed them. And once Jesus laid down the law or said, this is what you need to do to follow me, and he went on to say, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Of course, they got offended at that statement because they were saying, OK, you want us to be cannibalistic? You want us to be like vampires and and drink your blood? I mean, that's disgusting. And obviously he wasn't talking about that literally, but Jesus knew what he was doing. He was he was saying that, I think, for the sole purpose of offending them to see if they really, truly wanted to follow him or not. And he's saying, if you're going to follow me, the cost to follow me and to be with me is going to be high. And so the pretenders, once they found out what was actually required of them to truly follow the Lord, they turned their backs and walked away. And that's what John is talking about here. And first John chapter two, verse 19, when he says they went out from us because they were not really of us. In other words, they were fake. So anyway, we go to verse 20. And he says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. And I'm reading the Amplified Version here. It says, you have been set apart, specially gifted and prepared by the Holy Spirit. And all of you know the truth because he teaches us, illuminates our minds and guards us from error. So when it says we have an anointing, what does that mean? That means that this, it means that the spirit of God dwells on the inside of us. That's what that means. And so every Christian, every bona fide Christian, every true believer is anointed. We, and it means that we've been set apart. We've been gifted. 
We've been consecrated for the purpose of doing the Lord's work. Let me go to another passage of scripture that amplifies that point. I'm going to go to Ephesians chapter 2 real quick. Ephesians chapter 2. And I'm going to read verses 8, 9, and 10. And the reason why I'm going to read verses 8, 9, because I love them. And this is what it says. For it is by God's grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of your works, so that no one would be able to boast or take credit in any way for their salvation. Once again, I'm reading the Amplified Version of the Bible. It's very Amplified. Verse 10, this is why we've been set aside. This is why we've been consecrated. This is why we have an anointing. Listen to this. This is why we have what we have. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's the reason which God prepared for us beforehand so that we would walk in them. In other words, it was God's plan before the foundation of the world to choose us to save us, to give us an anointing, uh, uh, i.e. the Holy Spirit, so that we will perform good works. We're not here just to say we're saved and then there's no transformation of life. There is no ongoing sanctification. There is no pursuit of holiness. You follow what I'm saying? So to throw the term around that we're anointed comes with a extraordinary responsibility, folks. We're not just saying we're anointed and there's no responsibility that is in connection with that anointing. All right. So that is what the anointing is all about. I mean, I hear people say that they have an anointed song or what or, or, or something like that. I don't know if that's absolutely true. I've never heard about a song being anointed. I mean, if a person insists that a song that they believe God gave them is anointed. Who am I to argue? But I don't see any evidence of that in the Bible. So that is generally what anointed means. It means someone or something is set apart. You can't anoint your house. I mean, I had it done when I moved into the house that I'm in now. I had um, one of our assistant pastors come by and pray over the house and set it apart. And the Bible does talk about if people are sick in scripture, you can pray for them and you can anoint them with anointing oil and that the prayer of faith will save the sick. As a matter of fact, I believe I can find it. Let's go to the book of James. The book of James, the fifth chapter. And let's see if we can find what it is that I just mentioned to you. All right, let's see. Here it is. Here it is. James chapter five, verse 13. All right. It says, is anyone among you suffering? He must pray. Is anyone joyful? He is to sing praises to God. Is anyone among you sick? He must call for the elders of the church and they are to pray for him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. All right. Anointing him. And the prayer of faith will restore the one who is sick the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And then it goes on to say, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed and restored. 
The heartfelt and persistent prayer of a righteous man is able to accomplish much. All right. So I just read to you James chapter five verses started with verse 13 all the way to 16. All right. So that is my take on the whole thing about the anointing or being anointed is that it is very serious. It is God bestowing upon us his grace. His um, he's commissioning us. He's consecrating us for for special purpose to do his work, to do his will uh, in the earth. So it's not something we want to trifle with and it's something that we don't want to play with. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Take care.